So the series theme for this Theology on Tap here in the South Bend side of the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, has been Sanctifying Your Everyday Life. Today's talk is titled uh, Sanctifying Your Time. Our speaker is the incredibly talented Allie Green. Um, Allie currently serves as the assistant liturgical assistant director for liturgical formation uh, for campus ministry at the University of Notre Dame. Um, she's from Canton, Michigan, and even though that's Michigan country, she is a born and raised Notre Dame fan. Um, she came to South Bend to earn a bachelor's degree in religious studies from St. Mary's College and then a master's in education from the University of Notre Dame through the Alliance for Catholic Education program. She was my uh, ND Vision small group counselor in the summer of 2008. No big deal. <laughs> and Allie currently um, also provides uh, spiritual direction to countless undergraduates at the University of Notre Dame on campus, and will likely continue to do that for the foreseeable future, um, coronavirus uh, accepting. Um, with nothing further to do, Allie Green. Thank you, Michael. What a warm introduction. Thanks, everybody. This is my first Theology on Tap outdoors at St. Therese Little Flower in a pandemic. All of those are firsts for me. Um, I wore this watch that I hardly ever wear, and I'm just going to keep time so that I know how we're doing. And I thought maybe that would impress the crowd, since this is a topic called sanctifying your time. I thought if I showed up and made a big deal about pressing start, then you'd know that I'm going to keep us on time. OK, so welcome. We're going to talk about sanctified time this evening. Thanks to the planning team for inviting me to this tonight. I was really honored. Um, I'm not sure who recommended me to speak to this topic. Michael Shakur raised his hand, sanctifying your time, because I have a whole host of family members and friends and loved ones in my life, coworkers, spiritual directors, who would probably be trying to hold back their laughter at the idea that I'm speaking about sanctifying your time, because I'm actually like perpetually two minutes late to everything I do. I have this really spazzy way of not allowing myself enough travel time and showing up like a hot mess. So um, just know that I, I was on time here tonight. Um, I'm not really a leading expert on finding extra time for holiness in one's day, but I do work at this all the time. So I guess I'm here to talk to you tonight about the work of it. Um, and invite you maybe to consider how your time can become holy and purposeful for God. And that's what sanctified means. What is starts as ordinary and simple becomes holy and good with God's grace. So we'll dive into that. Um, so what's become a trademark in my life, and I am not bragging about this by any means, is that I'm always trying to cram the most amount of activity into the littlest time possible. This I call the 10 in 5 principle in my life. 10 into 5. How can I put 10 pounds into something that only fits 5? If it sounds stressful, that's because it is. <laughs> Let me paint this picture. It usually means that I screech into events and gatherings with friends with my arms weighed down with like three bags. I'm hauling up these stairs. I'm running late from my car. I have not allowed myself enough time to get where I need to go. And all the while, I'm trying not to seem out of breath and keep this big smile on my face like, hi, I just walked in gracefully, and here I am. Um, it, let me just say that I'm always frantically trying to appear graceful. Okay, we'll come back to that line. Frantically trying, trying to appear graceful. So 
it shouldn't really be any surprise that for a long time this is also how I showed up in my prayer life. Let me cram 10 minutes of prayer into five that I actually have. Let me cram the needs of the whole world and my family and loved ones and myself into the shortest time possible. How can I maximize the little time I have and jam pack it full? My prayer at age seven, I have this memorized. I don't need my notes. My earliest prayer memory is age seven and I can envision myself kneeling by the side of my bed, praying like this. Dear God, Jesus, St. Anthony, St. Jude, and all the saints, please help me to find my library card that I lost because mom says it costs money to replace it. Amen. <laughs> not really sure why Saints Jude and Anthony made the cut, and not really sure why or when I figured out that God and Jesus were the same person, but I guess the mystery of the Trinity was even more mysterious then. Do you see the theme, though? Here's the point. I was trying to call on as many holy people at once and summon their grace into as few seconds as possible so that they would hear my petition. It was earnest. It was frantic. I would not recommend it. Frantically trying to appear graceful. So tonight I'm going to speak to those three words as a theme. The frantic, the appearance, and the graceful. So we'll start with frantic. Having grown up as a Catholic Christian, I have really enjoyed this ready, anytime access to so many prayer resources and even better, so many models of holiness in my life, which has been really beautiful and also, to be honest, overwhelming. It's kind of a lot to look around and realize that you have all of these prayer and spirituality superstars in your life who are leading these great and holy lives and you're trying so hard maybe to be like them. I attribute this same kind of frantic pace in my mid-20s in my prayer life, my work, my social life, it was all kind of this frantic pace. I tried on countless like ideas or styles of prayer. It if you were watching me from a 30,000 foot view, it probably looked like a hot mess. I went on retreats, both the silent and the not silent. I talked with spiritual directors. I discerned a vocational call to religious life. I discerned a vocational call to married life. I tried praying in silence, music, going on walks in nature, which was not my thing, journaling, going to daily mass, going to adoration. What am I missing? There are others, I'm sure. Probably going to theology on taps, I'm sure. It felt frantic, and it was totally frantic. I felt myself, every time I tried to enter into prayer, being so frustrated. Why is it so hard to focus? being disappointed, like, there go my thoughts again, not focused on God, getting distracted. I was trying so hard, especially as a minister, to live into this prayer life so as to appear graceful, sailing through life, me and God coasting, and I wasn't, really. I felt stressed by trying to find time to connect with God which is actually no way to be in a relationship. This is not a talk on dating, but I will say the stress of trying to make it work should not probably overpower the peace that is within it, but that can be somebody else's theology on tap topic. Today, we're on time. Um, another way to not be good in relationship is to do all of the talking, turns out. I'm quite an external processor. You'll come to know this about me. I'm not a wallflower by any means. I can easily talk about anything with anyone at any given time, which is a gift as I see it. 
So in prayer, I would try to unload all of these thoughts, feelings, insights, and spiritual questions on God. Talk, 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 all the time. In silence, usually. But verbally dumping on God and then being confused why I had a hard time hearing God's voice is sort of obvious, isn't it? It takes practice to listen attentively, and it, to be honest, requires even more effort to practice listening when you don't hear a voice back. I'd listen and listen and squint my eyes and grit my teeth and just sort of wait with one eye open, wondering, when is God going to speak to me? I needed to practice actually noticing what came up in my mind, what emotions were stirred in my heart. And that is where the listening would begin. People gratefully tell me all the time how hard it is for them to pray. I think it's almost harder to sit in your own thoughts and emotions and questions about God without trying to answer or solve them. Doesn't that feel true? Sometimes it's actually harder to sit in your own stuff and just listen to it and notice it and wait for God to speak. Like you'd rather escape into solving the problems of other people around you than sit in this awareness that God loves you and there's nothing you did to earn it and there's nothing then that you can do to make it go away. That's really humbling. That's uncomfortably hard, actually. But it is prayer and it is unconditional love. So this frantic pace of my life, my speed talking to God through as many prayers as I could fit in at once weren't bringing me peace or solace of any kind. I felt really disconnected from God and I didn't know why. So that's frantic. Let's move into appear, the appearance stage. Oh, how much of my life is spent thinking about how I appear to others. So much more than I wish. I told you, and maybe you heard this in the introduction, my day job is as a professional minister. I don't know why I say it like that. I don't have a night job. My full job is as a professional. I'm not moonlighting at a nearby bar, I'm sorry to say. I hold myself to this really high standard of serving other people and leading this life that is rooted in Christ and, to be honest, trying to be joyful about it so that people are attracted to it and might want to talk to me about their faith lives. It is really beautiful work, totally. It's work that sometimes carries over into my personal and my prayer life, and how can it not? So it took me actually some personal work to do to realize that I needed to shed these expectations that others might have of my spiritual life. I was getting really caught up in trying to be someone whose faith was a model for others. I was surrounded by so many people who were a model of faith for me. And in doing so, I'm trying on all these different styles of prayer and expectations for what a spiritual woman should be, like shopping around them like I'm buying new clothes. So. I then started to believe that God had the same unfair expectations of my prayer life. Here are some false narratives I told myself. That prayer you did this morning, Allie, was too short and you were distracted. It doesn't count for today. As if the omnipotent God is like tallying what prayers I made that counted on a list. Here's another. The holiest people, back then I would have said monks, contemplative nuns, spend about five to six hours a day in prayer. How come I can't spend five minutes with God? If I can't pray well now, how am I going to do this if I have a family as a mother or a more consuming job or other new distractions? And then the final one, this one stings, 
what if I'm just not meant to hear God's voice? And that whole idea is a lie, and so it is silly to keep trying. Yikes. Perhaps some of you have heard similar statements or maybe told yourself some of these. It's clear to me now that none of those false narratives sparked a feeling of peace. They started to take me down this negative road of comparing myself to others and just real defeat in the subject of prayer. That is no way to be in relationship either. So the questions, those narratives were not God's. They brought about only anxiety, fear, or doubt. And so in this time in my life, this appearance-focused time, I talked about prayer with a lot of coworkers who were spiritual models for me, which is great to have. A lot of them were also three or four decades older than me, which is great. I'm a big fan of intergenerational teamwork. And I started catching myself thinking, well, maybe I'd have more time to pray too if my job, life, family weren't so crazy. Like if I were 75 and sitting in a recliner, I would have more time and an easier time praying. Just really kind of mean as I say that now out loud. Um, I would think that to myself. But to be honest, I know who I am. I would not say patience is my chief leading virtue. So I didn't want to wait till I was 75 to figure out this prayer thing. So thanks be to God, God made me with a little bit of impatience. And so it led me to kind of have some zeal to figure out how to pray. So I started to ask other people, how do you like to pray? What works for you? How do you find time for it? I love asking busy people how they find time for stuff. It's fascinating to hear their answers. What tips do you have for someone who is trying to connect with God? I just started asking people. And if people initially didn't look really awkward in answering, then I persisted. <laughs> if they did, I tried to give them a little leeway. It required, to be honest, this new spirit of humility to ask for help around the subject of prayer. Again, remember my, day, my full job, day and night, my job is ministry. I am supposed to know how to pray. Other people come to me and ask me how to pray, and I advise them. So you can imagine I get to this point in my life and I realize I'm trying so hard to appear prayerful that I actually forgot to try to pray myself, which is humbling. But I don't regret shedding my pride and asking for help from others whose lives of faith I admired. I don't regret that. I've done that several times in other spiritual seasons of my life, shedding this pride and just asking. First of all, I like it because it can bring about newness in a relationship. If you trust a friend or a partner or a coworker with a sensitive topic like, how do you like to pray? They're likely to be moved by your trust and confidence. Try it. And second, from my experience, the sooner you can get over any pride you have about trying to appear holy, in my own experience, the closer we might actually get to understanding a relationship with God in whom there is no pride, there is no arrogance. Are we okay? This is the Lord at work. Okay, let's move into graceful, perhaps a not so graceful season in my story. A grace is something that seems spontaneous and is generous. It is undeserved by human beings and it points us to the divine. We believe that as Christians that grace is the work of God made evident in our human life. It's the word for when you've been struggling with something and then suddenly you get a new insight into how it's gonna work out, grace. Or a coworker to whom you vote an email response doesn't call you out on how late you are in responding to them and instead says something like, it seems like you've been busy, no worries, grace. Or a friend calls you to catch up and you hang up after talking and you think to yourself, wow, I really needed that. 
grace. So grace is given to us in the sacraments of the church, baptism, confirmation, etc. But it's also given to us on regular normal days without our doing and often without our noticing. Have you ever caught yourself using this phrase? Looking back now, I can see that I was being led. It was all going to work out. Things were going to be okay. I see some nods, mostly just blank stares. Um, That's grace too, the gift of seeing God in hindsight, God's work in hindsight, grace. So grace is free and undeserved, but it requires noticing. It demands this attention or this honoring of a moment, this realization of God's work in your life. You can miss grace, sure. I think we probably do that all the time. But I don't think you have to worry about naming something a grace that isn't. So don't get all caught up in wondering, like, am I over-gracing things? Mm -mm. We are not God. That is not our work. When I first began writing this talk, I remembered this passage from Scripture, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord, nor are my ways your ways. I was in the middle of writing, and that line just popped into my head. So I looked it up, and as it turns out, that passage comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah in the Bible, and it's from chapter 5 which happens to be entitled, An Invitation to Grace. Truly, I'm not kidding, I did not plan that. That line pops into my head, I Google it, and all of a sudden, that passage I'm being called to summon into my mind is called An Invitation to Grace. That's not lost on me, right? Now I'm in this practice of naming that and saying, that's a grace, this is a line I will hold on to. I find it helpful to do kind of a grace review of my days and weeks when I have time to sit in prayer. Because the more I'm in the habit of naming them to myself and to God and even out loud to others, the more I am mindful of God's work and presence in my life. When I find myself, you can ask my loved ones who are here, when I find myself most tired, crabbiest, closest to burning out, least charitable, it's usually because I'm out of this grace habit, this grace naming habit. The work though, to cultivate grace naming, or grace noticing took me a long time. It's something I have to work at all the time and remind myself to do. I have to keep at it like any good routine. I had to learn from spiritual directors, from my closest friends, what are graces so that I could have an easier time spotting them so that it become more familiar to me. You will likely never find me doing any form of bird watching. I'm not against it, I'm just not, I don't think I would ever um, feel compelled to do it, just not interested. But I wonder if this exercise of grace naming looks something like that. Are there any bird watchers here? That would be so amazing. That would be, I was gonna say that would be so arbitrary, but here we are, grace. Um, this exercise of naming graces might look like that. Bird watchers, keep me honest here. How do you cultivate an appreciation for something you haven't yet seen? You have to look it up. You have to read about signs you should be looking for. What should you find? Take in other people's experiences of it and start to then look on your own and hope that you can find it. The same is true for grace, I would think. Read about it. Ask other people about their experience of it. Start to look for it on your own. And then when you see it, you'll know. I'm going to give you a brief pause in the talk here. We're going to have time later on after I'm done speaking, to have more group discussions and reflection. For now, though, I'd like to invite you just to consider to yourself, does one of those three words, frantic, appearance, or grace, speak to the pace of your life right now? 
your prayer life or just your schedule? Does frantic appear or grace resonate with you in the way you're spending your time? Which one, maybe, and why? And if not one of those words, perhaps another one. I'm going to give us one minute exactly to hold this in silence and just consider. Are you ready? This is a talk on time, and this is why I brought my watch. Which of these words, frantic, appearance, or grace, speaks to you and the pace of your life or the pace of your prayer life? Okay, that was a full minute. If it felt like eternity to you, you're not alone. I checked my watch three times in that full minute. When I first started trying to pray in silence, that's about what it looked like. I would like sit reflectively and glance down all the time. Next, here's what I'd like you to do. Just turn and introduce yourself to someone who might be new around you, or feel free to move, or talk to someone who came with you. Say hi, give your name, and talk about this question where do you have time in abundance, and where do you never seem to have enough time? What are the activities or ways of spending your time that you seem to have in abundance, and where do you never have enough? You have two minutes. This is a talk on time, so I'm going to keep you honest to that. Okay? Go ahead.
Okay, maybe 10 more seconds. If you haven't let someone else around you talk, maybe give up the mic so they can share with you. Okay, come on back. Hope those were fruitful conversations. You can tell me more about them later at the end of this talk. This next section is called working on it. So now you know kind of the mantra I've developed of frantically trying to appear graceful. And to be honest, be kind. It's quite vulnerable for me to share that I show up to things like a hot mess with all of you, but I felt like all of you could handle it. It took some awareness of how I operated to figure out what I was missing and to seek it in God and in prayer. So I told you I confided in close friends. I asked them for help. I would say that my prayer life felt like a mess. And what do they recommend? How do people go about doing this well? I think I really needed to become aware of how I operate to learn what I most desired, which was some quiet. Remember the frantic? I'm actually sort of desperately seeking some time in silence whenever I can take it. Some time just to be myself to open my mind and my heart to God, to let prayer kind of flow conversationally. My friends were really generous in making suggestions and in comforting me and reminding me that no one really feels great at prayer. I don't know how many people you meet that say like, I'm actually killing it in the prayer game. Thank you so much for asking. That is not the point of this journey on earth. We are supposed to continue to seek God and not to achieve fulfillment in our earthly life. So good, good news for me. I know that and I believed them, but it still didn't really take shape until I turned off that kind of broken record in my mind about all the things prayer should look like. It should be this, it should be that. All the shoulds took up so much space. I should be praying in this style. I should be praying for this long per day. So one day I turned on a timer for 10 minutes in my room and I sat in silence and I stared at a wall and it felt like an eternity. I got up to check my phone three times again in those 10 minutes and I thought, I'm never gonna make it. I'm never gonna have any sort of silence in my life ever. While I sat and stared, I just began the 10 minutes by telling God, wall, me, God. God, I am here and I am open. What started to happen over time is that I'd notice that I was praying in the sense of how I'd always learned. In my mind were swimming these concerns for myself and for loved ones, deep desires and longings that I had, memories of graces, worries about past ways when I hadn't loved or acted like I should. And all of that was there in my mind and being shared in this silence with God. Again, me, wall, God, timer, okay. So that exercise of some silence and of opening my mind and heart to God became my prayer routine, to be honest. Eventually I added in a framed photo of a place I really love on Lake Michigan so I could stop just staring at an empty wall. That was helpful. Eventually I stopped setting a timer. So often I talk with people in spiritual direction, a lot of undergraduate students in spiritual direction who wanna get better at a prayer life. They want a routine. They want a, prayer, a plan to follow. 
like spiritual fitness in 30 days through six reps of Hail Marys, a nightly exam, and we are killing the centering, calming breaths that lead to this meditative state, and that will lead to a robust prayer life. I don't blame them. I don't, I don't want to joke about it too much. We think that following plans works. In a lot of other areas of our life, it does. Plans solve problems, people. I'm a firm believer in that. But prayer, if we're honest, is not really like anything else we do because the things that are in the most intimate corners and areas of our life typically did not follow a plan. Like falling in love. Like a deep desire to help someone who's in trouble. When it comes to falling in love or helping someone, we're never like, sorry, that's not in my script for today. I cannot handle it. And neither does God say that to us. So what about now? That was working on it, the working on it section. What about now? I still bring all of me, the same person that I am, to my life of prayer. It took a while for me not to try to like tap into spiritual alley to bring to prayer and just kind of be comfortable with whoever I was showing up at that given moment. That hasn't changed. And I still show up to greet people and to work frantically trying to appear graceful. That is still a reality. Probably not gonna change anytime soon. In prayer, though, is where I find peace and some silence, and I don't feel that I have to appear a certain way so as to notice the graces in my life. So I'm happy to share um, what has worked for me in trying to find sanctified time. Again, as a disclaimer, if leading prayer experts write doctoral level dissertations on prayer, this is going to read a little bit more like a children's coloring book than a doctoral dissertation. So that's my disclaimer, but I'm happy to share. It's honest and it's a work in progress. I am a morning prayer person. If it doesn't happen in the morning, it's not going to happen, people. My charity wanes throughout the day, as does my energy. We only get lower as the day goes. I also happen to find consuming my morning coffee to be almost as spiritual of an exercise as some of the holiest Catholic things I've ever done. Am I allowed to say that, Sean? Um, so in the mornings, I wake up and I make coffee with bleary eyes. You know, I'm just trying to come to life in the morning. And I sit down with a journal, which sometimes I use. Sometimes it's just there as a prop, I'll be honest. And I stare at the coffee, and I just sort of say good morning to God through the coffee, at the coffee. <laughs> And then I say something in my head or sometimes out loud, like, here we go, or let's do this. And then I sit in silence and I let my thoughts, as they're happening, and frankly, they're just kind of like slowly coming to life in the morning, I just let them be open to God and God's grace. I walk myself through the memory of the day before and where God's grace might have been, and a lot of times where I might have not been so graceful or charitable. Sometimes I write notes in the journal, or sometimes I write a song, like a hymn lyric that comes into my mind. Sometimes I write down questions I have for God, and I have a lot. I have a lot to talk about, and the Lord, and I have a lot of ground to cover, so the questions are easy. And more importantly, I don't try to answer them or get an answer from God in 20 minutes when I sit there, which was part of the problem for a while. I would sit and ramble off all these questions and insights, and then I would just wait and count and pray that the timer went off soon. This is just what I have found has worked for me. It's calm, it's quiet, it's prayerful, and my favorite part is that often the line between where my thinking ends and God listening and talking begins is just blurred. 
that just becomes all one part of the same prayer. This might not be your way, or you might be hearing this thinking, like, can we go back to the talking about bird watching? Because I was much more in the zone with the bird watching. That's fine. I know plenty of sanctified people who hate mornings. I know plenty of lovely people who don't like coffee. That's all true. So this might not, you might not ever connect coffee to prayer. Totally fine. Personally, for so long, I was trying to build in extra time in my day for prayer. And what I actually found is that the time was there. I was just doing other things. I also, I haven't done much yet to this point in the talk to mention the prayers of the church tradition, which should not be overlooked in their beauty. These are part of my life of ritual in a really beautiful way. I've noticed that when I am most fearful or anxious or exceedingly joyful on the other end of the spectrum, I turn to the prayers that I have memorized because they taught me language of petition and praise. They're what reminds me when I can't come up with the words, I turn to the prayers of the church. Thankfully, somebody already wrote these for me. I just have to pull them up. Our Father to ask God, glory be to exalt God, hail Mary to praise the mother of God. That was a really beautiful realization, actually, that my way of praying that I described, you know, with the coffee and the kind of journaling, is that it's something I enjoy in the regular every day, but when I'm on this notably high peak in a high season of consolation, I turn to these ritual prayers when I'm most excited, or when I'm in struggle valley and really having a hard time, I turn to these prayers of the church tradition because I need some words. I'm grateful to feel compelled to prayers that I already know by heart, that I didn't come up with, that I was taught and encouraged to memorize. It's this deep, deep call to ritual that I find really beautiful. So with all humility, I'm happy to offer some things to try in finding your time to be sanctified. Again, with total humility. Remember, PhD versus children's coloring book. Here's, here are four tips. The first is to ask your people, your closest people, your closest confidants about prayer. It's really intimate to talk about prayer with other people, I have found. Especially so in my spiritual bubble, it's predominantly white Western European church culture. And I find that we think that we should keep this to ourselves and be privately really good at it. But we're not doing ourselves any favors by pretending that no one needs guidance in this area. So let's just all kind of collectively get rid of that expectation. Ask your closest people what they do and what works for them. Try things that they do. Maybe see what you like, see what you don't like. Also note, we talk to each other in community about things that are important to us. So having more conversations about prayer, even if it feels awkward at first, will continue to reinforce that this is something important to you. Okay, tip two. Try to see yourself as God sees you. This is not easy. I'm gonna blow through this in 30 seconds, but this is one of the hardest tips I think I've ever given. Imagine that God and you are in a room and God is staring at you. What is God thinking to God's self? What words or emotions come to mind in that moment? We are so much harder on ourselves that God, than God is. The one who is love and mercy incarnate does not look upon you like, you schlub, you should have prayed for five extra minutes this morning. I think we have to sit honestly with that and think about how might God actually see us and how can we see ourselves as God sees us. Okay, tip three of four. 
maybe consider making a list or reflecting on your favorite and least favorite times of day if you're someone who can keep a routine. And I won't assume that everyone is able to keep the same routine every day here. What do you enjoy about your favorite times of day? Or what is your unwind or total low energy time? Perhaps an opportunity for prayer or reflection is around one of those favorite times. You're already kind of oriented towards joy or peace or things are going right in your day. And if you're someone who lives like a full 48 hour day in 18 hours, then by the time you go to bed, I think it's gonna be really hard and frustrating to try to say like, oh, I hope I can stay awake for 30 more minutes so that I can continue praying. The spiritual life takes work, for sure, but it's also important for us to do some work on our end and to say, where in my life is there already time that can be used well? Where are there already hours that are in abundance? And where am I really strapped for time? And let's try to put the prayer in this hours of abundance. Okay, and then tip four. This is the fail-safe one. Ask God for the grace to sanctify your time. Is that a cop-out to say, ask God for this? This is supposed to be my talk and my tips. The final tip is to ask God for help in doing this. So often I find that I churn and wrestle with not being able to do something well, and I just kind of spiral in like this, why, why, it's just not getting any better. And then I forget that I could actually ask God for help with it, and that itself would be a prayer. Bring any restlessness and any wrestling like this to God, and in that, we believe that we will be sanctified. So to close for now, I'd invite you to join me in prayer. That was a notable grace in the preparation for tonight. This is an excerpt from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 6 through 9. An invitation to grace. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen. And thanks. Allie, I actually just wanted to give a thank you. I just so much appreciated and resonated with your, just your authenticity and your genuineness and sharing the places where maybe you felt like you were supposed to have an answer or have it all together because of your role, but you just were honest with, with where you were and that was just so beautiful. So thank you. Thank you. What was your name? Thea Marie Burns. Thanks, the Emory. Hello, Allie. <laughs> this is my brother. <clears throat> Hello. Hi, Matt. Hello. Green. <laughs> Hello. Um, you mentioned earlier that even in challenges of your own prayer life and timing, you still have to counsel uh, young adults, and I feel like a lot of us are young adults who are here. Um, so maybe what is some? What are some of those pieces of advice that you do give? Maybe one or two examples you do give when people talk about 
uh, timing and anything really with prayer. Maybe it was separate from what you, the great advice that you had given to us. And again, thank you for your insights tonight. Thank you, Matt. It's a good question. I think the gift and the challenge of counseling people in something you're not yet good at is something that a lot of people do. Like how many of you started your first job and you all of a sudden began this work of doing something really important, maybe getting paid to do it, and you're like, wait a minute, I didn't major in this. I have no idea how to do this. You majored in it and you have no training. That's okay. It's kind of like that. So that's the gift and the challenge. Mostly I feel like people just want their experience to be heard first. So the more you can actually just listen to someone else's experience before jumping in and saying, oh, prayer is hard for me too. I am happy to give you my tips like I just did tonight. But I was invited. I was invited. I, I would invite you to start there and to just hear out what people want to say to you first. And the answer and any counsel you might be able to provide can sometimes spring from that. The second thing I'd recommend, Matt, thanks for the question, is to lead with, in my experience, X. Because anytime we're talking about um, spiritual needs of people, you can be tempted to speak on behalf of the entire Roman Catholic Christian Church by leading with, like, well, this is what we should do. And instead, I'd invite you to lead with, from my experience, this is what has worked or what has not. You don't have to bear the whole yoke of the entire Catholic Christian tradition on your shoulders. You can, in fact, just speak from your own experience. Does that help? Did I hit where you Okay. Thanks. You talked a lot, Allie, tonight about um, making time for prayer and, and sort of silence. Could you also speak a little bit to how you sanctify other areas of your life, that time that you spend doing work or the other things that you enjoy doing? How do you make that sanctified time and offer that to God as well? Thanks. That's a good question. I wish I were better at this. A lot of times I take the things that I hate doing and try to at least invite God into them. What are some of those? I'm sure you all have these things in your life. I really loathe answering text messages. Really. I don't, I don't quite know where that came from. I love communicating with people. I love talking. I'm so grateful when friends reach out. And yet, I wish I could just have someone answer all of my communication for me. So sometimes when someone sends a text and I know they want a really thoughtful response back and I should say something like, so good to hear from you. Here's an update about my life. I will sometimes just invite God into it by saying like, God, here we go, or come Holy Spirit. Um, so I don't know if that helps you, but what I usually do is take the things that I despise or loathe the most, or, which really just means I fall so far behind in them that it's just hard to catch up. And somehow they become sanctified because I invite God into them, amazingly. Is there a particular saint or person of the Trinity that you find um, addressing prayer to as particularly meaningful in your life? Mm. What was your name? Hold on. Hi, thanks, Timothy. Great question. Wouldn't that be awesome if I said, it's St. Timothy, you know? <laughs> to be honest, I have really, in the past couple of years, taken to the, um, the patronage or title or trope of Mary as undoer of knots, mostly because I just think there are so many things in my life that are just knotted up in a ball and I can't figure them out or answer them yet. And so I appreciate this idea um, that Mary as the mother of God is someone who undoes knots like slowly and patiently. So I don't have the patience for that to sit there and kind of like wrestle with something. So 
not a person of the Trinity, but that's one I feel particularly called to. That's a good prayer one, too, because it covers all manner of sins. Um, especially since this is kind of a, like you said, an, an basic level to prayer, what's the kind of prayer or type thereof that people don't, might, sorry, might not think about when they think about prayer? Oh, tell me more. Um, so, like, for example, if I said the word prayer, I get the feeling that most people here are thinking, they kind of have an example in mind. Have you ever encountered a type of prayer that is prayer, but most people wouldn't at first glance point to that or think of it when they think of prayer? Hmm. I've done, what was your name? David. Thanks, David. I've done Tai Chi prayer. That was interesting. I'm not very flexible or really attuned to the way my body can be used for movement and how that can be spiritual. Yoga never quite was my jam. Um, so I think any sort of prayer that involves kinetic movement is something that usually surprises me. But you're right, it's not what comes to mind immediately when I think of prayer. That's also just in how I've been raised and my kind of spiritual bubble. So is that home? What about you, David? I hate it when my questions are reflected. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of the theology on tap, you know. Well, that, that's, that's a quality answer. I think I'm going to say me, too. <laughs> <laughs> nice meeting you, David. We'll talk more later. <laughs> All right. Th thank you for coming out to talk with us, Allie. Sure. Uh, so one thing that came up in our group discussion is that we had, it felt like we could have too much time and too little time simultaneously. Mm. I, if, does that make sense? I think so. Keep explaining. <laughs> okay. Um, so, for example, at work, I might get a whole bunch of things to do at once. Uh, I can time them out, right? But it just, I don't know, it's kind of hard to explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, say, I, I get off work at 5, so if I have a task that uh, takes an hour and a half, I like, can't start it. After 3.30. Yeah. What was your name? Michael. Thanks. Michael. I realize that's a popular name around here. Oh, <laughs> only right here in this row, I guess. And Tim, okay, really, it is a thing. That's a great question and point, Michael. How do you kind of pace your time so that it's even? That is already a question that's pointing toward a plan. How do I kind of space out my prayer so that it reflects what my work rhythms are like? Again, you know I work in ministry. I, my prayer looks nothing like what my ministry looks like, actually. It's very, it's very active. It's very on the ground at Notre Dame, talking to a lot of people. And so in prayer, I prefer the silence. But what I would say is this is probably true in all seasons of your life, that there are seasons where you're going harder in the paint and you are just all in and it's requiring a ton of energy. And there are seasons where you're like, why am I sitting home again on a Friday evening with nothing to do? pandemic aside, there are just various seasons in the same way, I think, to our prayer. When we are really struggling with something, we are all in. We're maybe taking up a certain kind of prayer to do every day for nine days, a novena, or we're kind of taking on a new ritual and going really hard that way. And then there's another season right behind it where we take some time that's more elapsed. Does that make sense? I, trying to pace it. <laughs> will mean that you're almost trying to plan it. And really, I think prayer will spring to mind like based on the season that you're in. Hello, Allie. Hi, Molly. 
What is your advice for people who don't yet have comfort with adoration? Um, I feel like when people bring it up that they go, I'm inspired and I applaud them for going, but being someone whose mind constantly runs, I don't feel comfort comfortable yet with the silence of adoration or what I'm supposed to do when I'm there. Um, and it reminds me perhaps of you looking at the wall with the timer. Like, I feel like in the times I've gone to adoration, I can't help but think like, how long have I been here? How much longer do I need to be here for this to count? What is your advice for fruitful adoration? And I know it's different for everyone, but mm -hmm. curious about your thoughts. Yeah, great question. Okay, where's Sean? Can I come back and do another Theology on Tap just on this very subject? Like things we think we're supposed to be doing during Catholic prayers. That could be a whole other talk. Um, great question, Molly. Recently I've had some more experience in this because I've actually taken on a practice of going to adoration at my parish more regularly um, which started because I just couldn't go to church for a while, you know, pandemic, and now has become something I really look forward to and love. Um, but it actually took some really, uh, like a mental game to kind of shed the expectations of what I thought adoration was supposed to look like. I hope I'm not saying anything heretical here. The thing is, I would watch other people in adoration and they looked peaceful. And so I'd say to myself, well, I guess this is supposed to be a peaceful time. So then when I would sit in the pew or kneel and not feel peaceful, I would say, well, I guess I'm doing it wrong. Go back to tip number two. Imagine you and God in a room. Does God look at you in that scene and say, you're doing this wrong? <laughs> it's, I don't think so. So I think it's been important for me to kind of make up some expectations in my mind of what I hope adoration will be that day before I go and then write in reflection what it actually was afterward. And so I've noticed some cool things, like when I've been to adoration and my mind's racing, or I've noticed like, I looked everywhere in the church except at the monstrance. My eyes were like, do, 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 watching all the people come in, watching the people go out, looking at the wood grain in the pews. You know, I'm like watching an ant crawl on the floor. And I write that down after, and then I look back and I can see kind of in my notes or in my journal or just remember this, like, oh, you were actually dealing with a lot that week. That's why you probably felt so distracted that night in adoration. So I don't, I don't know if that helps in starting up a new practice. I think if it's something you want to try, you might try to go and not try to do anything and then leave adoration and write what happened. The very act of showing up, what an act in which we can adore. A great question. Okay, first of all, I want to thank you so much for your talk. Um, but my question is, like, how do you go about saying no to people? <laughs> because I'm terrible at it. I feel like I have to say yes to everyone, and then I say no, and then I feel bad. And then I'm like, well, actually, I can do that. Let me check my schedule, and then I overcommit myself, and I'm flailing. <laughs> what was your name? Madeline. Yeah, Madeline. I'm with you. I don't often say no. Not proud of it. Not bragging. Working on it. Grace. Um, it, I find it very challenging. You and I might have some similar personality characteristics. Do you mean you find yourself saying yes to too many things and then you've lost your time? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Madeline, you and I could be kindred spirits here. It's, it's so easy, I think, it can be to say yes in the moment to something that seems good, and then you look back and you say, oh, that was a drain on my time, or I left that then and I've exhausted all my energy for X, Y, or Z. 
It's hard to do that in the moment, so I would just start a slow celebration of when you do say no to things that are unnecessary. Tell other people. Tell God. I said no to this. I didn't need to do it, and I cut it out of my life. Sometimes that naming can help. Yeah. I have another question then. <laughs> so how do you know what to say no to? Mm-hmm. Wisdom from the crowd, maybe. Um, <laughs> this is, yeah. There's no easy answer to this. Also, this could be another Theology on Tap conversation. Um, I think if you take this topic of how you're spending your time to prayer, you'll start to see patterns in the things that are life-giving or the people that are contributing agents of joy, peace, positivity. Um, they remind you of God, these people. Saying yes to things surrounding them will probably start to add up in your mind as a list of like, these are goods, that was the right thing to say yes to. Um, things that are a drain on your time, you'll come home exhausted from doing it or from having said yes. And in a similar way, if you take these to prayer, you'll say, God help me see, like, where's the energy sucking, where's the energy giving, and start to discern. Um, th that takes a lot of practice, but I think also just the practice of bringing it to God and saying, like, how did I use my time today? Where was the good? Where was the not so good? Let's try to do better tomorrow. Hi. Um, I have hey. a question this time. Sure. Um, you mentioned at the end of your talk the uh, passage from Isaiah as a prayer. How do you, and I know the Bible is like, it's, it's a bunch of stories, but also there are prayers. How do you get your mind, how, how, how does that work for you to make part passages of the Bible a prayer, like instead of just a psalm that I'm reading and going over and just saying in my head versus making that an actual prayer? That's a great question. This isn't helpful. I can't control that. I didn't know it. In writing this talk, I did not turn to the prophets and say like, okay, what, what passage do I need? Did you hear me say I had to Google the passage? I had like one line in mind. So often how I look up scripture, a line comes to my mind and I get it like 60% right and I Google it and Google says, no, this is what you actually have heard before. Um, I have found it helpful to like go through a section or a chapter of scripture in certain seasons, usually in Lent when I have a ton of more time that's dry. I find that it's helpful to like start with the Psalms and pray through those or feel particularly called to be like, what actually is in Luke's gospel? Let me return to that in this season. Um, but the grace of just like having one pop in your mind, uncontrollable thankful whenever it happens, especially when I need to write a talk and it comes to mind, that's especially helpful. I think they come to my mind more in the form of song lyrics. I love liturgical music, so they're just burned in my brain. Also plenty of non-liturgical music lyrics, they just kind of are stuck up there, so you really never know if you're going to get Isaiah or Jay-Z. Uh, let's give a huge round of applause again to Allie Green.